Well, good morning, church family. I'm sad that we're unable to gather in person this morning, but I am thankful for the power of technology and being able to gather as we're scattered all over the seven cities of Hampton Roads. My name is Seth Peterson, and I have the privilege of serving as they minister to families with students. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 2. Go ahead, take out your copy of God's Word, turn to Mark chapter 2, as we'll be picking up there shortly. And as you're doing that, I just want to take a second to brag on you guys. Our students are so thankful for your support. You know, they're not just the next generation, they're the now generation who are impacting the livelihood of our church today. And a lot of that is a credit to you guys and your investment in our students. So sincerely, thank you for all of your support. March 15th, uh, 2020 was the very first time that we went all online in our worship gatherings. You might be wondering, uh, well, how do you uh, remember that? Well, because I spoke that Sunday, and little did we know, uh, almost two years later, that we would still be dealing with the aftermath of the pandemic. But it hasn't been all bad. I met Cassie, who's now my wife and my bride, and in the last year, uh, we got engaged in February. We got married July 31st, and we just found out last weekend that we've got a baby girl that we'll be expecting uh, come June 4th. So uh, we're excited, of course, and I think this is appropriate being that family, uh, because we've been going through a family DNA series about our core values. So what's in our family DNA? I'm glad you asked. Uh, God's glory, Christ's love, authentic relationships, and biblical truth. And what we are talking about today from the book of Mark chapter 2 is about transformed lives. Transformed lives. If you're thinking, man, I would love to be a part of a church like that. Well, you're in luck because that's what is a part of our DNA here at First Norfolk. Uh, before we go any further, since this sermon is entitled Traits of a Transformed Life, I want to be crystal clear with what the word transform means. Uh, transform has been hijacked to mean everything it shouldn't, which mostly has to do with physical. Uh, like, a, say, a makeover or a home transformation or a new paint job. Has anyone ever said to you, there's something different about you. Yeah, I got this haircut. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. We're not talking about a new hairdo here. They're, I'm talking about uh, a special type of transformation that can only take place by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, Webster's defines uh, transformation as a dramatic change in form or appearance. However, the scripture defines it very differently. There is something more significant than a physical transformation, and that is the power of a spiritual transformation by God's doing. As we will see in the text today, when someone is transformed, it changes everything about them. In our text today is a simple one of how not one, but 
specifically two men had their lives transformed for the glory of God. Uh, Now, without any further ado, would you pick up with me in Mark chapter 2, verse 1. And again, he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Turn to the person sitting next to you and say, in the house. You can do a little bit better than that. Let's go with the in the house this time. You ready? Turn to your neighbor and say, in the house. In the house. All right. That's good. That didn't really have anything to do with the messages. Thought it'd be fun. Um, Immediately, many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Verse 3. And then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when he had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. The paralytic is the first man in this text to have his life transformed for the glory of God. There are three traits from our text of what a transformed looks like. And I feel that you know this before I go any further, but I want to be sure. A trait is simply a characteristic typically belonging to a person. As Christians, we are to have traits of a transformed life because we belong to the person who is Christ. Just in case you weren't listening, I'll say that again. As Christians, we are to have traits of a transformed life because we belong to the person who is Christ. That's a good place to say amen right there. The first trait of a transformed life is, if you're taking notes, you want to write this down, is urgency. Urgency. Transformed lives have an urgency for the gospel. Uh, Look with me to verse 3. Then they came to him bringing a paralytic. Now, not many people know this, but my older brother Trey was born a paralytic. Uh, He was born with cerebral palsy and only given a few years to live. His condition meant that he couldn't walk, he couldn't talk. Uh, He was completely paralyzed. We had to feed him out of a feeding tube He never exchanged any words with us, and really the best that he could do would would be to smile and occasionally point uh, at the movie he wanted me to put on for him. Um, But he was my buddy. Uh, We shared a room together growing up, and I would wheelchair him to school every morning. He went on to be with Jesus at age of 15. If I can be vulnerable and, and transparent with you this morning, Not a day goes by that I don't miss my brother. Trey showed our family so much and caused our hearts to be tender towards those who could not help themselves. And of course, as a result, uh, a spirit of gratefulness that we have as a result of having Trey a part of our lives. Uh, Truth be told, I don't even think I would be sharing with you this morning, or uh, if I'd be in ministry at all, if, if it wasn't for my older brother, Trey. I don't know if you've ever had someone who suffered with a severe condition, but I would have done anything, and I mean anything, to see Trey walk, to not only see him transform 
spiritually, but uh, physically also. Introducing these four men in our text, they're important, uh, a, a quintessential part of the text. You'll want to pick up there in verse three with me. Uh, these four men, there's not a lot given about them, uh, but we know that they were those who had been to Jesus themselves. Jesus had changed and rearranged their lives in the best way possible. Having been transformed into new life, they now had faith to believe that Jesus can transform the life of a paralytic if they can just get their friend to Jesus. Now, just pause with me for a second here. Uh, Jesus is in the house and it is a packed house. Uh, so, so why not wait? The house is packed. Uh, why wouldn't the four men say, you know what? We'll, we'll let Jesus do his thing. We'll let him finish teaching. And then when he's done, we'll, we'll come alongside and say, hey, Jesus, we know you're busy. We know you got a lot of it. Would you mind? Would you, would you help our, our friend? Uh, seems like a pretty good strategy to me. But listen, if we learn anything from these men, it's this in these first few verses they had an urgency. Now, I'm preaching at myself, uh, but I, I want to just put this forward. Maybe we take the time that we have for granted. There are three thieves of gospel urgency, and each one of them steals glory from God. They are passivity. We see this in the text with the crowd. They're notorious for following Jesus. Make no mistake about it, they're included in the multitude, but they want really nothing to do with the person of Christ and following him. They're there for what he will give them, not for what it costs to follow him. And then there's apathy. How many people walked by the paralytic man on the way to the house where Jesus was and did not consider him? And then there's complacency. How many people excuse me, uh, Christians live without a purpose or a mission and wander aimlessly, never becoming all who Christ intended them to be. The mission statement of our church even is love God, uh, love others, and say it with me, live the mission. If any of these traits are present in your life, then you won't be able to live a transformed life very well. Thankfully, uh, the men in this passage have none of those traits of complacency, passivity, or apathy. Instead, these men are transformed men who decide to take initiative. They have been moved to compassion for their friend. They are obeying what God wants them to do in this moment and are purposefully doing everything that they can to get their friend uh, to Jesus. Verse four shows us, and when they could not come near him because of the crowd, I love this part because they are really thinking outside the box. Uh, they could not get in the front door. So they had to think of creative alternative. They were like, hmm, uh, room is packed. Okay. Uh, there, there's no standing room and no way to view Jesus. If we could only get to Jesus. I know, the roof. <laughs> now, roofs serve a purpose. 
Think about it. What are some? What are some purposes of the roof? Shade, keeping things dry, keeping the weather out like rain or snow. Uh, Most homes of the time were built of stone and had outside stairways that led onto the roof. The roofs themselves were constructed of large wooden beams with smaller pieces of wood in between, covered by thatch consisted of grain, twigs, straw, and mud. Turn to your neighbor and say mud. Say you like you're from the south. Mud. Are we in the south? I don't know. We'll leave that for debate later. Uh, but this is what is happening. Uh, they're right there digging through the mud and flinging the tiles off to get to Jesus. They are urgently desperate to get their friend to Jesus. So as we can see, uh, it was no small effort to get their friend to the feet of Jesus. Uh, We don't know how long it took, but we know that it took some time because it says in the text in verse 4 here that when they broke through. Uh, In truth, breaking through the roof was only half the battle because they had to lower the man down to the floor to where Jesus was. Uh, My guess is that they did it with ropes connected to the mat on all four corners since there were four men. So naturally, it would make sense to slowly let the man down little by little. We don't know if this operation was smooth or if the men almost fell in trying, but we do know that their urgency got their friend to Jesus. As they lay the paralytic man down at the feet of Jesus, I just want you to consider uh, this for a moment. Minutes ago, the men were outside with no hope. Now he is in the overcrowded room being lowered to the feet of hope. I can't even imagine what it had been like for those that were in the room. Uh, Picture it. They're listening to Jesus one moment, then suddenly, without warning, a scratching sound. (laughs) You can plug in your best scratching sound there. Uh, And As they hear in this scratching sound, uh, debris and clouds of dirt start to fall on their heads and and into their eyes. They're, They're looking up, and as they peer up, They are amazed at what is happening. The crowd is dazed and confused. And then, this is just me personally, but I I picture Jesus as kind of a a knowing smile. Just kind of, like I knew this would happen. Uh, And as the bright sun rays hit the floor, uh, and dust settles, it now becomes clear to all, there's a paralytic man at the feet of the Savior. Uh, The crowd murmurs and then goes dead silent. All eyes are on the teacher to see what he'll do next. Uh, We don't know what the paralytic man said, but uh, maybe it was something like Psalms verse 25, verse 11. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. One thing is for certain, though. Those who have had their lives transformed by the gospel have been forgiven much. And that's exactly what Jesus does next for the man. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. The second trait from our text of a transformed life, if you're taking notes, maybe you want to underline this verse in your Bible, following along with us. The second trait of a transformed life is fervency. 
fervency. Transformed lives have a fervency of faith. Fervency is defined as a particular enthusiasm, zeal, conviction, or persistence, or belief. Please don't miss it. Notice the verse says their faith. That's what I want you to underline, their faith. Can I be honest? I find this verse very surprising. The verse says that when Jesus saw their faith, he forgave the man's sins. We might expect it to say when he saw the paralyzed man's faith, he forgave his sins. But it says when he saw their faith, the faith of the four men specifically, and that's significant. There is a lesson here. These four men believed in the ability and the power of Jesus to save their friend and nothing prevented them from getting to the only one who could heal, transform, redeem, and make new. Now, isn't that just like God? He specializes in bringing those who are far from God to be close to him. While there's no doubt a miracle of great magnitude is taking place, the traits of the thieves that I listed before, apathy, passivity, and complacency, are present in the scribes too, who are actively robbing glory from God. In case you're wondering, the scribes in this passage are men who are knowledgeable about Jewish custom, law, and tradition. They are a subsect of the Pharisees, and they dedicated themselves to translating and teaching the law of Moses. They would have been seen as those who were in religious authority at that time. But they are no match for Jesus. Uh, Take a look at verse 6. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive but God alone? Little do they know It is God in the flesh before them. Nonetheless, uh, unfortunately for the scribes, they have added to the law and expanded on it so much that this leads to arguments with Jesus fairly often, thus becoming Jesus's main adversaries in Galilee. The scribes so dissect and tear apart and define the scriptures that they miss where the Messiah is is all about. Ultimately, they were not able to demonstrate fervency in faith because they didn't believe in the first place. And in doing so, whether intended or not, they violated a very fundamental part of faith itself. As we see in Hebrews eleven six. <laughs> for without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. All those that received the blessing in this passage sought God and found them. And there's something to be said about that for us today. By faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone, you can come to God today and be healed. What a contrast between the four men and the scribes. I wonder what would have taken place in the scribes had they really seen the Messiah as he was. They had ample opportunity. They had studied the law of Moses, and yet God himself is before them, and they miss it. 
Verse eight, but immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within himself, Jesus said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? God is specifically, uh, God in the flesh, Jesus is a master question asker. He's always ready to give a defense for the hope and the faith that is within and being demonstrated. And so he does. He responds with a straightforward and spiritual answer. He says, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk. The question here is really not one of difficulty. You see, to the divine, all things are equal. It's not harder or easier for him. The question, though, is one of power and his ability to perform them. Uh, Jesus, being able to discern their thoughts, sees that it is evident that the healing for them was more of a proof because inward healing would be harder for them to tell. In other words, God could heal this man from the inside, forgive him of his sin, and then the scribes may say, ah, well, you know, we don't really know if he was just excited about being in the presence of Jesus or if he was really changed. Can, can I just say this? <laughs> I want to make sure uh, you hear this. Uh, if the joy of the Lord has been placed in you, then it will be hard not to tell others what he has done for you. I'll say that again. If the joy of the Lord has been placed in you, then it will be hard not to tell what he has done for you. Uh, nonetheless, because he is able, Jesus performs a simultaneous miracle, meaning at the same time he heals the man's spiritual condition and physical condition. And the why is answered for us in verse 10. But that you may know the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. I say to you, speaking to the paralytic, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately, it says, he arose and took up his bed. Did you see it? <laughs> That's a double miracle. Boom. And the third trait of transform living, of the second one, fervency, is this. The third trait of a transformed life is, take a note to one, put this down, intentionality. Transform lives intentionally share with others. Jesus is an intentional sharer. And because of this, we are about to see a second man transformed for the glory of God. The tax collector is the second man in the text to have his life transformed. Verse 13, pick up with me there. We'll go quickly through this. Then he went out again by the sea, and all the multitude came to him. Verse 14. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened as he was dining in Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many and they followed him. Verse 16. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? Then Jesus said to him, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Last weekend, many were snowed in, and I love what pastors on, 
our staff, uh, did during this time to bless those around them. Uh, one of these was a message that was received, and I found it as encouragement, so I thought I'd share it with you. Uh, this is what it read. It said, uh, Hey team, the snow days have been a gift. It's forced everyone in my neighborhood to be in my neighborhood. Had the chance to serve neighbors, met a bunch of new families, got hit in the eye by a nine-year-old girl with a snowball, shovel driveways uh, that had a had a double seclusion whammy of COVID, uh, have a s- snowman competition with our neighbors, got to share the gospel, invite someone to church, and a sword fight with Tolson. <laughs> Just in case the last line didn't give it away, if you haven't figured it out already, this was a message sent by Pastor Tim to encourage the rest of our staff. And this is exactly the kind of mentality we are to have even during the snow, Uh, looking at it as not an obstacle or a challenge so much, but as an opportunity to make a way to minister uh, from our homes. When we share intentionally, we get to see more people transform for the glory of God. Uh, Verse 13 continues, and he taught them, and he taught them. Then when people experience a transformed life, they want what we have. Are you plugged into a life group? If not, why not? Uh, Scores of women life groups just started this past week, and it's not too late to join. We have groups from all ages at our church, and they are awesome. Uh, Maybe God is calling you to lead a life group. Uh, One of our very own, Mike Finch, took it upon himself to start a men's group, and it has swelled and the growth that is being reached by those people who would not otherwise, say, be in a group is taking place. And God is mu- using Mike to reach those who are far from God to come into relationship with him. Maybe you're not quite ready to start your own life group, but you want to join one. Uh, more information about our church and what you want to know for next steps on your journey of faith is available to you. If you would say, hey, I just want to know what is my next step? Like, how can I get involved? Or or what kind of opportunities do we have? I'm glad you asked. Uh, You can simply text the word next, text the word next, and someone will follow up with you about how you can take next steps at our church in order to be all that God has called you to be and live a transformed life. We got to keep going. Uh, Look at verse 13 again with me. It says, there was a multitude. I spoke about the multitude earlier. Uh, You know why there was a multitude? You know why there was a multitude? There was a multitude wherever Jesus went. And this is constantly mentioned. The crowds followed Jesus, but were they all real followers? I want to be sure to make a distinction here because there is a big difference between multitude and multiplying. If we're honest, would you rather see a multitude of people or people multiplying? When is the last time you heard someone ask, how many new people are coming to Christ at your church versus how many people attend your church? And it needs to be stated any church can have a multitude, but not every church can multiply. 
The multitude were the people who were interested in Jesus but didn't want to follow Jesus. That was the multitude. They wanted to see what was happening from far away but didn't want to partake. Multiplying involved those who have been radically transformed by God and are living for the glory of God. I don't mean to offend, but if this steps on your toes, my prayer is that you take a half step up so that it hits your heart uh, this morning. Much like the basic functions of a calculator, you are either adding to the church, subtracting from the church, dividing the church, which God hates division and his desires for unity to be in the church, or you're doing as Jesus did and you are multiplying the church. You can take a snowstorm, for example. Did this take away from your opportunity? Did it add to the opportunity for ministry? Or did it give room for uh, the adversary, the enemy, to uh, corrupt your thoughts or your minds or to limit your effectiveness? If you are looking for a reason for why you can't do something, you'll find it. But my experience has been this, and what we see in God's word is if there is a urgent desire for the gospel and there is a fervency of faith and an intentionality to share, we will see multiplication happen in our church. See, the truth is that in times like these, like I said, we're still dealing uh, by and large, with the aftermath of the pandemic, we're not completely unscathed from it. Uh, there's been more and more people that uh, in our culture have become disengaged from the church. And there are many others who would desperately love uh, to be a part of a faith family where they can have the very real answers they need answered. Uh, the truth is, we're so often tethered to our devices, and we forget how much we need community to connect with people and to be in relationship with others. The question is, how will you engage them, and who are you reaching out to? There is no zero function on the calculator. Uh, the role or function that God desires for you in the church is to be, make no mistake about it, a multiplier for the glory of God. Take a second to honestly assess. Are, are you subtracting? Are you adding? Are you dividing? Are you a multiplier for his church? Transformed lives require us to yield to God and see how we might desire to weld what he has given us for his glory. To be intentional is to be a multiplier. Uh, quickly now, verse 14. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. Turn to your neighbor and say, follow me. Follow me. Don't, don't actually follow them. Just stay with me. Follow me. So he arose and followed him. Who? Alphaeus. Levi, <laughs> the son of Alphaeus, followed Jesus. Jesus, the great discipler, make no mistake about it, the ultimate multiplier is at work. Verse 15, now it happened as he was dining in Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many and they followed him. You know why there were many? 
I think you do. <laughs> it's because Jesus was a multiplier. Jesus had a process for what he did, and we hope to progress into being a multiplier. If we hope to see that happen in our own life, we do good to mimic Jesus as well. See, Jesus sat with tax collectors and sinners. He broke bread with people of the world, those who were strangers of the church. Uh, when is the last time you invited someone over to your house? You said, hey, just have a meal with me. Or you said, hey, come, come along with me. How, how can we bless you? What can, what can I do to help? How can I serve you? Jesus is living out what a true transformed life looks like. He teaches what he models, and he models what he teaches by instructing the fellowshipping, the breaking of bread by dining with Levi, and the other tax collectors and quote-unquote sinners who are gathered with him. Uh, we do good to follow the example that Jesus has set, and we do good as a church to follow in step with Hebrews 10.25, which says this, let us not neglect meeting together as some have made a habit, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Do you hear the urgency there? Because it is present. Now, not to put too fine a point on it this morning, but allow me to encourage you. The gathering of God's people is meant to be a habit of God's people uh, what was the result of the kind of intentionality that Jesus showed? We see that it led to great multiplication. The church is God's plan A to reach a world that is far from God, that they may come in close relationship with him. It is to be a multiplier for his glory as we live out transformed lives. Quickly now with me to verse 17. After Jesus uh, handles the, again, questions of the scribes who no doubt snicker, he refines his purpose for what he does, uh, defines the purpose for why he called sinners to repentance. Verse 17. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus says to you today, follow me and be transformed. The four stretcher bearers in our passage saw a man who couldn't get to Jesus, and they did everything they could to get their friend to Jesus. Because of their urgency, the press of the crowd could not deter them and the cost of the roof would not dissuade them. Because of the fervency of their faith, it was greater than their fear that they broke through barriers and they went through the difficulty of the task. Because of their intentionality, they would not allow any criticism to detain them, and they were willing to do whatever it took to lead the paralytic into an intimate encounter with Jesus because they believed that Jesus would bring wholeness, that Jesus would make him well. And we see he rewarded their faith with complete healing. Recall the three traits of a transformed life. 
having an urgency for the gospel, having a fervency of faith, and sharing intentionally. If you do not see these traits in your life, then maybe you need to be saved. Uh, Maybe you need to be transformed. Perhaps there needs to be a revival in your own life. There is nothing more exciting than being transformed by the gospel. The miracle of new life in Christ is the best miracle that can ever be and ever will be. Today, Christ invites you personally to the fellowship of following him. Following Jesus is setting our hearts on the one who has loved us and gave all so that we could be brought near to him. If, if that's you today and you say, I want to have an opportunity to say, I'm yours, Jesus. Transform me right now and pray this. You can pray this right where you are. If you want to say, I'm yours today, Jesus, transform me now. Say to God, dear Lord, you alone have the power to save. Please transform me right now. I believe you sent your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for my sin. Be the Lord of my life. I turn from my sin and I turn to you. By the power of your Holy Spirit, have your way in me now. I claim you as my Savior. I claim you as Lord. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, then we want to celebrate with you. Simply text NEXT. And we will follow up with you to help you take your next steps on your faith journey. As a church, we celebrate the lives that are being transformed all over Hampton Roads. Remember, those who have been transformed help others find new life. This week, make yourself available every morning when you wake up. Say, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit and bring someone across my path so that I can tell them about you. And watch what he does. Uh, Identify your one. The paralyzed man needed an intimate encounter, and it was the faith of his friends that got him to the feet of the Savior. I encourage you to join at 1 p.m. in prayer for your one, and to join us as we gather with fervent faith on Tuesdays in the prayer chapel at 6 o'clock in order to pray and ask God to move in great and mighty ways. And then I would ask you to continue to exercise your faith. Sometimes we need to break through barriers of comfortability, uh, complacency, and passivity. It is the confidence of God that will sustain us and help us through uh, difficult times, Uh, both thick and thin. If you don't hear anything else this morning, know that uh, God has a role for you to play in the family of God. And it starts by living a transformed life today.